Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Before we get going on this episode, I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com, Cody Nelson, my friend of 20 plus years. I call him the glassing guru, the optics authority. He's the optics manager at GoHunt.com. If you guys have any optics needs at all, whether it be binoculars, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, tripods, anything to do with glassing, give the glassing guru a call. You can reach Cody at 702-847-8747. That's extension two. You can email him at optics at gohunt.com or you can text him directly on his cell phone at 602-399-3699. Ask him any question either by text or by call. I want to thank Cody for all the work that he does with the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners. I also want to remind you guys it's application season. There's not a better hunting resource than the Go Hunt Insider. Uh, For a free trial, you can go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott. You can also get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card when signing up. Uh, I want to thank kuyu.com, kuyu ultralight hunting. Kuyu is the ultralight hunting gear that I've been wearing since 2010. Uh, go to KUIU.com and you can order directly. It's a direct-to-consumer uh, brand and they have phenomenal gear there at KUIU.com. I uh, also want to thank Phonescope.com. Use the JScott21 promo code to get 10% off on all orders. Also, Apex Ammunition. During turkey season, uh, the podcast gets sponsored by Apex Ammunition. Go to Apex Munition. Dot com. It's the home of the TSS, the Tungsten Super Shot. Uh, it's the best turkey uh, loads on the market. Go to apexmunition.com. Uh, guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. I also want to let you guys know that are listening for uh, Colorado um, information. I actually have a few elk and mule deer uh, tags available in Colorado on private land if you guys have an interest also doing an elk bear um, archery combo uh, reach out to me at jscottoutdoors uh, on instagram uh, or jscottoutdoors at gmail.com reach out and uh, for more information i'll be happy to share it with you let's get right to this episode guys welcome to the j scott outdoors podcast today we have my friend cole olam out of tenderfoot outfitters um cole is also one of my fishing buddies there in the glenwood springs roaring fork valley area cole how you doing doing good jay how about yourself good it looks like uh the rivers are low and uh snow snowpack at least in that uh roaring fork valley valley is not definitely not a hundred percent but it looks like uh, denver got blasted yeah, um, I sure did. Just enough to show the Californians how not to drive. But um, <laughs> yeah, they did. I mean, there's there's four feet of snow down there on that I twenty five corridor. Um, but yeah, there's this big storm that come through last week. We really didn't. We got a few inches on the ground, but nothing substantial. Um, the high country has some snow, and I know the ski areas are still staying open. But yeah, like you said, the rivers in pretty rough shape right now so has it been how long has it been since you've seen the say the colorado as low as the colorado river is right now man i i honestly can't say jay probably maybe 2001 and i just i mean you probably remember what was that summer of 2019 we were 
pretty low and we had all the stop fishing yeah ordinances put in place and i mean last year i mean you probably remember into mid-july i mean it wasn't a month month and a half after runoff we were we were bony and it seems like the rivers haven't came back up i mean it just can't seem to get out of these drought conditions and um but yeah i've never vividly in my life remember the colorado below glenwood springs dipping below a thousand cfs i know it 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 was in the 900s and the roaring fork looks like an irrigation ditch right now so definitely definitely needs some of this late spring snow to come through for us you know with that being said i mean march historically is is a big moisture month for that area so let's hope that it turns around uh you're kind of born and raised um maybe actually not born in colorado maybe born in wyoming no, I'm I'm born and raised in Colorado. Okay, born Fort and raised Generation. in in Meeker, right? Yeah, okay. I was, yeah, I was born in Meeker, one of the one of the very last ones. But <laughs> yeah, I've, I've lived in um, Northwest Colorado majority of my life. I did a, I had a short stint in Northwest Wyoming, but okay. 80 90 percent of my life has been right here in the Roaring Fork and White River valleys. Okay, sounds good. Um, we've got. I'm looking at the Colorado um, big game regulations, and we have a deadline of April 6th uh, for the deer, elk, pronghorn, moose, and bear, sheep, goat, the whole nine yards. Um, I want to talk to you about several of the units um, and, and some several of the animals, what's going on there. Uh, but I've, I do have a couple questions. One is the primary draw is April 6th, but then there's the secondary draw J- June 30th. What yes. exactly is that? Um, so kind of what they're doing with the secondary draw. I mean, honestly, I haven't really, I think last year was the first year they did it. And I didn't, I honestly haven't dabbled in it. But basically, it's um, it's basically a draw for what's left over so they're basically doing a secondary it's kind of like the second choice draw um so basically everything that's left over is moving into that secondary draw and then whatever's after that will be going to the leftover list and i i honestly haven't read up on it i don't play that leftover game real heavy um but i know there's going to be some substantial changes to the um the leftover tags and the reissued list that a lot of people are gung-ho on. Um, When we look at these um, applications, um, you know, one of the things that jumps out at me is the season structure dates have bounced back so late. And, you know, where I think it impacts probably hunting whether it be quality of hunting right now but overall impact um down the road what i look at mostly is the mature uh, mule deer um population if you will and i talked to cliff gray about this a little bit on the podcast but what's your ideas as far as these late season structures um for ultimate impact on uh the mule deer oh i think it's i mean i'm i'm right on the same page with you on it i think it's going to crash us i mean we're already i mean we've a lot of us guys here we've talked about it and our mature deer numbers are just down to begin with you know there's just not a lot of bucks that are in that four plus age class and this winter 
running around. I mean, I, I spend a lot of time in the Eagle Valley, you know, Eagle County, Gunnison County, Rio Blanca, like all these pretty historically well-known mule deer counties. And usually I'm, I'll see some, you know, just giants roll in about, you know, let's say after Thanksgiving and uh, January. And I honestly haven't seen very many bucks that I would say are in that 180 plus class. So I, what I'm thinking is what everyone else is thinking. If these, these late dates and, you know, if the weather lines up, it's, could be the straw that breaks the camel's back as far as um mature age class deer and um it's it's sad i i totally disagree with it i think if we were if we we're gonna do this the tag numbers need to be cut substantially right in other words um if you're gonna have this late season structure date you know that the deer are gonna be sitting ducks out there on the winter range if you will almost and, definitely and be running like dogs okay mm -hmm. if you're going to do these dates but cut the tags way back from what yeah. i understand there is actually like a, a, a push to lower the age class of the deer because they're worried about chronic wasting disease right that's what they're but, saying they did it for. i mean I, I can't say for the rest of the state but they've really been pushing that model in the northwest half of the state and that's been going on for two years now they they did a big tag hike in um, units 22, 11, 211, 3, 301, that real northwest corner. And um, where I basically 22 is basically my backyard right now. And historically, that was a great unit. It produced some great bucks. And, and those bucks kind of bounced back and forth from a really well-known unit, unit 21. And I know some locals that have you know, hunted, I mean, burnt some serious amount of points on tags in there for the fourth rifle. We're talking 15 plus points as a resident and going out there for five days in a unit, they spent their whole lives in and can't turn a deer up over 160 inches. So um, that's definitely neg negatively impacted that area. Um, I can't say if that's why they're doing it. I think it's just their, I don't know. I, I, I wish I truly knew the reason why, Jake, because we go, um, people like myself and, and you know Connor Clark really well down there in Gunnison. Um, we attend these, you know, these meetings and these um, mule deer objectives and whatever. And it's just like in one ear and out the next with CPW these days. They don't, they don't care. I think if there was one deer left in the state, they'd sell three tags for it. Yeah. Um, okay. With the dates being as late as they are, I'm wondering how it's going to affect the elk hunting um, a, as you get into those third and fourth seasons. You, you know, with the with the second rifle, which is which is, let's call it the it's actually the first rifle elk season, right? So it's it's October thirtieth uh, through. Uh, yeah, it, it's the first combined season, so it's the first season of elk and meal deer with a rifle right and then you go third rifle that's november 13th to the 19th and fourth rifle november 24th through the 28th how's right. that going to affect elk moving back it, obviously not because of the rutting or you know because of the deer rutting it affects the deer and because of the deer going out in the winter range but do you think though it will actually make the elk hunting better or worse uh it's going to depend on the unit really um for those migration heavy hunts 
probably will make it better, honestly, because um, a lot of those units, like up around north of Meeker, and, and that way it's, you know, it's going to put those elk down into that, I mean, sage country, essentially, and put elk on the winter range, which, I mean, our elk numbers are pretty good, but, I mean, it's definitely going to kill some elk come that third, fourth rifle when they're, they're down. I mean, those, even those higher country units, like where I outfit out of, let's say 54, it'll, it's going to put those elk down on the sage country, you know, on the winter range there in Gunnison even. Well, that, um, that leads me to my question of, and then I want to bounce back to the later dates of the first rifle on elk, but so by hunting them later, it, they'll be moving in their migration down to lower country. In essence, doesn't that and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but doesn't that, by hunting them that late, it almost puts a lot of those elk on private property, does it not? Don't they move down and some of those private pieces, obviously it depends on what unit you're in, but yeah. almost taking opportunity away from people. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, totally. Um, Gunnison is a great example of that 54. Um a lot of those elk, when they come out of the West Elks, they'll dive right on that Ohio Creek Valley, and they're locked up. I mean, there's three giant ranches right there, and I mean, I've seen it where there's a over a thousand head pushing two thousand head locked up on that. So, yeah, that's definitely going to be a big reality there. And even some of these deer hunts, um, for instance, when those deer transition out of you know that higher country, that mid level, and they get down into winter range, a lot of that's going to be private so that in essence that could save us some deer and also take some opportunity away as far as elk so it's kind of a give or take yeah yeah but it, i mean you know how colorado is it's we're so diverse um it's it's gonna make some units really change the dynamic of that november hunt and some of others it might make it better um but a lot of times, some of these high country units, these bulls, I mean, you've probably seen it, the cows and the younger bulls, they'll kick out, and those big mature bulls, you know, they'll bachelor up, you know, and they'll, they'll stay high. I mean, I've seen elk over in Gunnison and in the Maroon Bells and anywhere they have that ability, they'll stay up where the snow's hitting them in the belly and Thanksgiving and just won't pull out of there. So it's, I mean, it's, it, could change some things, but I'm I'm not really thinking it's going to change the elk hunting as much as it's going to affect the deer hunting in a negative aspect. Let me ask you a question about first rifle elk, October sixteenth through the twentieth. Now that season has bumped back as well. If I if I, if I'm thinking right, yep. Where normally it's a little bit earlier, where that season you're getting quite you know quite a bit of bugling. Do you think it? you think bumping back will kind of hurt that across the board on some of those first rifle units that are really good? Uh, yeah, it could change that for sure. Um, first season, it's kind of, it's dabbled. I've seen it start as early as the 10th and traditionally the 15th. Um, but I mean, it's, you're, you might catch some tail end, but you know, if you're a guy sitting there looking at like those primo first rifle tags, let's say like a, a 61 or a 76 or 40 or any of those units that offer that first rifle, it's, you know, you want to be in there as early into October as you can. Like we've said before, I, I have always said October 1st is the peak of the rut in Colorado, in my opinion. Um, 
uh, yeah, I mean, you could still see some of those late cycle estrus cows coming around that second week of October, but um, you know how it is with Colorado elk, they're pretty spooky, and seems like once those guns go off for the first day or two, those elk, they get tight-lipped, and they start changing their habits real quick. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's talk about, I want to start uh, on the elk. I want to talk about uh, the area where you guide. There are Tenderfoot Outfitters, 54, um, over there in the Gunnison area. Um, what opportunities do you guys have over there for people that, that want to hunt? Well, we've got, obviously, our elk seasons. So, primarily, we focus on elk archery through second rifle. Um, and those are all going to be high country wilderness horseback hunts. And then moving into the third, fourth rifle season, our primary focus is going to be mule deer um, down in the lower country, obviously, because we'll be, we typically pull our base camp out after that second rifle season because, one, the snow gets deep up in that country, and, two, those elk, obviously, they're going to move down. So um, we kind of change our tactics. But primarily in the November, we start focusing on mule deer more heavily. And on top of that, um, we also do sheep and moose. Um, are all of your hunts there in wilderness? Are they all guided, or are they drop camp to, or you know, some DIY? What what's the breakup there? Okay, so all our all our elk hunts are we do we do offer drop camps. Yes, so our elk hunts are all on wilderness, and then. Um, those third, fourth season mule deer hunts are 50-50 because we have access to private land and also public land um, when we move down into the mule deer hunts. Okay, um, and then do you also do archery elk hunts that are guided? So not only is it in the wilderness, it's a drop camp style where, you know, yep. a, a string of horses, but you're also left with, with one of your guides there? Or is most uh, of the business just dropping guys off and letting them no, hunt um, we've actually kind of moved back. We really are more focused on the guided hunts. Um, we used to run a lot of drop camps. We've kind of scaled our drop camps back. Um, we usually have, we're usually running two different drop camps um, at a time. And those can be really productive for guys that, you know, have that ambition and will get out and hunt. Um, and we, we locate our drop camps far enough away that they don't conflict with our guided hunters. Um, so with our drop camp hunters, you have your own space and, um, you can be as successful as you want. Actually, some of the biggest bulls actually killed in our outfit for probably the last almost 10 years running have been out of our, our drop camp hunters in the archery season. And, and, uh, it kind of makes me scratch my head sometimes if why I'm giving the drop camp hunters that country when <laughs> we could be hauling, you know, but there has been, um, our price Creek drop camp, um, Traditionally, every year, archery season and black powder will produce a bull over 300. And multi and it's actually, some years, it's produced multiple bulls over that 300-inch mark. Okay. Um, but and, it's, and then your guided hunts, um, what kind of shape do guys have to be in? Um, you know, can a guy that's just in average shape still do well, or do they have to really be in tip-top shape to, to do well? Um, no, you can be in, I mean, obviously that's the advantage we have with the horses is I can, I can work with somebody who's in middle of the ground shape. Um, the biggest thing where you're honestly riding a horse is a physical activity and a lot of people don't realize it. Um, it, 
wears on your legs, your hips, your core. And if you have, you know, poor core strength and, and that can definitely affect you even on a horseback hunt. But definitely, I mean, you know, as a guide yourself, Jay, like we'll never complain about having a guy show up in shape. Like, um, but definitely you don't have to be running triathlons to do this hunt. It is tough country. Yes. The horses do allow us to access, you know, get you into tougher terrain. But at that point, you know, we're not, you know, ideally you ride up, jump off the horse and go bang, bang. But a lot of times it's, we're tying horses up and then proceeding on foot. I actually try to use the horses as little as possible, but you know, the client kind of dictates that for me. Um, what are the draws like for those hunts as far as in 54 in wilderness area? Um, what are guys looking at? Are some of these tags over the counter or some of them draw? How does it sit? So our archery, our muzzle at our first rifle and our fourth rifle have all moved to draw. Um, the second, third rifle is going to be over the counter with a cap. So it's not a over the counter free for all. What they'll do is they kind of similar to like what Idaho does or used to do is there's a, you know, a set number of tags to be sold. And when that quote is met on those tags, everything's sold out. Um, but traditionally our first, so they cut, we did actually do some tag cuts in the past year. So traditionally we were getting guys, non-residents that archery tag as a first, as a first choice. And now with this past year and kind of looking at the way things are shaking out, you're going to need a preference point to draw that archery tag. Now, um, the muzzleloader tag is taking five to six points as a non-resident right now. And then first rifle is probably, you know, if you're hundred percent odds, you're probably talking at least one preference point also. Okay. And can guys, um, have a deer tag, draw a deer tag as well and hunt deer and elk at the same time? Yep, we have done that many times. Um, I have guys that'll do um, muzzleloader archery for deer or even second rifle. And um, we can do that. Um, we have done it in the past. I always tell guys, I mean, you know, it's a five-day hunt, seven days total. So we have a day packing in, packing out. And I really kind of advise guys, like, let's try to just focus on one animal and one hunt. Because sometimes... Too much. Yeah, I mean, you know how it is, Jay. You're, you know, you're like, oh, let's hunt deer today, or oh, we need to hunt elk. And honestly, like by that, traditionally that muzzleloader hunt was very good in '54. And and you can look at some of the bucks on our website. We've killed some, you know, 190, 200 type deer out of that high country. But it seems like as of recent in '54, that resident deer herd has gotten rather poor. And I don't see the deer in the height in the basins like I do. Like we'll see. You know, I can turn a buck up or two in the basins, but anymore, it's, I feel like majority of the deer that end up in unit 54 are actually migratory deer from 53. And I'm about, I'd say I'm pretty, about a hundred percent positive of that. And I, the, the division does their counts, obviously in the winter time when animals are on the winter range, but what they don't take into account is, you know, what is actually resident deer. Right. There's no way for them really to know. And when they count them, they just assume they're resident deer. I would, I would, that's what I'm thinking. It's totally true. Um, but yeah, a lot of those deer out of 53 actually will migrate south and they, 
they do actually come into 54 more so um, than obviously the resident deer pushed down. But I think um, like those early hunts in 54, if guys want to do them, I'll still, I'll still hunt them, but they're just not, you know, I just advise guys and tell them, you know, the, these high country hunts over here, they're not what they were 10, 15 years ago. Wait, you're an outfitter and you're telling the truth? <laughs> yeah, believe it or not. You know? and, and there for a while, Jay, after that winter of 07 or 08, I mean, I'd, I'd like to say it kind of says something when guys were calling us, asking us, you know, they wanted to book third season deer hunts in 54 and we were turning them away because we, you know, just honestly told guys, like, I cannot take your money to, you know, drive you out there and maybe find one buck and and at the time we just felt like it was the right thing to do is not to be harvesting those deer because we needed every buck on that you know winter range we could get just for breeding standpoint yeah. and i mean i we honestly didn't start running deer hunts in in third fourth rifle season in unit 54 until i think 2017 was the first one we did after the winter kill so almost 10 years yeah, almost gave it 10 years. And, you know, because it's, you, you got that many preference points invested. And, I mean, you want a guy to make good on those points. And, you know, sometimes being honest and turning the money away is works out a little better for your reputation in the long run. For sure. Um, let me ask you a question about your bear hunting while you're hunting these 54 wilderness hunts how how is the bear hunting and can guys get those bear tags at the same time how, or are they over the counter or they draw what are they oh they're um you can actually possess two bear tags in colorado right now um they've actually you can have an a class and b class bear tag so um if you have a valid um elk tag you can also pick up a bear tag over the counter and carry it as a class b license while also like a class a you could get the early rifle tag which is the september 2nd through the rest of the month um and with bears obviously the earlier into the fall you can get the better so what i like to tell guys to do is those those archery and muzzleloader hunters um really look into that um early rifle tag and a lot of times um if we do fill out early we can a lot of times the best way to kill them is right off your gut pile of the bull you killed. And you, you're choked up with bears right now, aren't you? Oh, terrible. And and really, Gunnison County, there wasn't a lot of bears in there traditionally. I mean, there was always been bears, but this past year um, in September while we were doing a moose hunt, I, I honestly like, lost track to how many bear, um, bear tracks I cut. It was insane. Like Every government trail, every horse trail, I mean, there was a bear track going down it, and it just it's insane i i mean they're pretty much everywhere in western colorado bears are just i mean they're just popping up in numbers and and you know it's just goes to show we've had a pretty um poor management strategy on our predators here let me ask you a specific question about antler point restrictions. Um, I'm looking here. It says an antler point is a projection of an antler at least one inch long and which is longer than the width of its base. A brow tine means a projection of antler at least five inches long located on the lower half of the antler. Um, restrictions. Bull elk taken in all seasons must have four points or more on one antler or a brow tine of at least five inches long. So... 
Not all, correct me if I'm wrong, but not all of the units in Colorado have the restriction or no, all of, all of Colorado has restrictions on antler points. Uh, no, but so there are units where a spike bull or, you know, a bull below equal, I mean, of that legal stature mm -hmm. is, um, so you definitely have to read up on that. Um, there's some, I believe there's units like 48, um, 49, like if you look in the brochure that they don't apply to those given units. Yeah, so um, I see but, uh, 1, 2, 10, 20, 29, 30, 40, 46, 48, 49, 50, mm -hmm. 51, 56, 57, 58, 61, mm -hmm. 69, 76, yeah. 84, yeah. 791. They don't apply. Yep, so basically all your, your draw tags, it does not apply. So all the OTC units, there is that antler restriction. But if you're crazy enough to shoot a spike bowl on a draw tag, then more power to you. <laughs> um, in your mind, does the antler point restriction help or hurt, or does it matter? Uh, it's totally helped us. Um, my dad can tell me stories back in the 90s before that four-point or five-inch brow time restriction was put in. Mm -hmm. And he said, I mean, I was a little kid in these days, but he said finding a branch antlered bull was a huge accomplishment back then. Meaning guys were just whacking anything. Oh, spike bulls were in trouble all the time. Like that was what most guys shot on a bull tag was a spike bull. Like if you killed, if you killed a branch antlered five point bull back in the early mid nineties, like you, you ran that thing up and down main street in your truck. Like you just won the Daytona 500. <laughs> like, like, um, you know, and then, and then once they put that in place, I remember the struggle at that point was, is there were so few bulls that had even lived to be two and a half, three years old in the years prior that, I mean, dad's telling me stories about sitting out there north of Meeker and looking over 300 head of elk and can't find a legal bull to shoot. Wow. And, and um, but in that 20 year span or more, it's improved the over the counter elk opportunity of harvesting a you know, a mature age class bull exponential. I mean, exceptionally more. I mean, killing, I mean, we do it every year now, killing 300 inch bulls on over the counter tags. And, and I mean, I see them in about every unit I go and walk into. Like this past year, I actually kind of went back to my old stomping grounds and my fourth rifle and, and hunted around Meeker. And uh, as a kid, you know, a six point bull was a huge deal. And a bull that would break the 300 inch mark was out of the question and i i would confidently say i've seen four bulls this year on a pretty heavily hunted unit that would break that mark so i think it's definitely improved us um but i have no complaints with it would they ever go to a six point restriction oh you know that'd and be what cool would that do well that would put us to the next level but i mean that would be a really hard thing to push right um, I think, you know, a five point even would be, would be fine. But then we'd get in that dilemma because you know how it is. You get those bulls that are just giant five points. They're old, they're, they're mature. Um, right. and then you'd be sitting there like, well, dang it, I can't shoot a 300 inch five point, but I can shoot that 250 inch six point. Right. Um, but I don't know. I think it's been good. I think the brow time things is a really gray area. Um, with my hunters, I, I tell them we don't play that game. Like if he's got three points, like we're not going to sit there and measure brow tines that I, I pretty much solely go off of that bull has to have four points on one side. 
Right. Before, before it's a slippery slope when you start having to measure points. Yeah, and, and guys will be like, oh, I'm, it's just not a good thing. And I've seen game wardens have to, you know, confiscate bowls that are, you know, three, they're three by threes and they've got a, you know, a short brow or just weird stuff. Um, but I, I really push on my hunters that we don't, we don't play the brow time game. It's, it's got to have four points. And usually what I try to tell them is if there's a, you know, a split off the main beam. So I'm looking for, you know, a fifth point, let's say, coming off the main beam of a bull that age. And if he's, you know, if he comes straight up and doesn't have anything coming off the back of the main beam, then you need to question it. Um, I'm bouncing around here, but it's at the t I don't want to forget it. In Colorado, with the deer, you can apply for a preference point as your first choice and apply your second choice um, for some of these deer units and draw on your second choice. But with, yep. with the dates being later this year, in your opinion, is what people think are guarantees going to go away on some of those second choice, second season, third season deer tags? Do you think that that game's going to uh, get played to the max? Oh, yeah. I think kind of what I'm seeing, you know, with the chatter going on is I, I think it's Colorado's like going to be like the Klondike of mule deer this year. Like everybody's trying to get here because everybody's seeing these you know these dates and i have guys you know message me all the time like oh i've got one preference point and i've got to go hunting and um but i definitely see these 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 hunts that i've been you know living and dying by for the last 10 years i you know i'm gonna have to really consider you know if i'm if i'm deer hunting and i want to go it's gonna have to be first choice instead of second choice yeah, because you, you look at the, the option, uh, you know, before these season date changes, now yeah. you're talking about potentially drawing a second, you know, a, a second rifle deer tag October 30th to November 7th. And those last few days of that hunt, you know, the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th of November, potentially getting some rutting action. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, that adds an element there where I think everyone is going to really play that game out. Um, let's talk real fast about your idea of the, say the top five or six, uh, deer units as far as quality, not in reference to preference points, anything as far as quality units with the best bucks, top five, six units in Colorado for deer. So my top picks, we're talking genetically speaking, um, top units still to me is 44 just on the fact of um the giants are still there still can be a pretty dang tough hunt but i it just has the legend behind it and then number two would be 66 there in the gunnison basin um that would probably be my top pick for somebody who is not very knowledgeable with 44 um, numbers are a little better um and those deer are down in that there's more per se um resident deer in that lower country so it's a good opportunity to look over a lot more bucks and um pass some deer versus the 44 hunt you might be there for five days before you see one um number three i'd say 67 which would be your neighbor to 66 to the east um very similar genetics to 66 um a little lower on the deer numbers but still a chance of the giant there number four 
I'm going to go with 55. Um, they're in the Gunnison Basin also. Um, kind of same story, but that's the basin. Um, impacted pretty heavy in 07, 08 winter. Um, eight, winter of 18 was relatively hard on it also, but still the genetics are there and still producing some big bucks um, to guys that will work for them. Then number five, I'm going to go with Unit 40. Um, Unit 40 has pretty good numbers right now. There are some great bucks in there. Definitely something to look at if you are in that lower end of the points game. So let's say that um, 5 to 10 point range or higher. Um, pretty tough hunt if you're going to do it on the public land just because it's a logistical nightmare with private. But if you're willing to go guided or you're pursuing a landowner tag, that would be my my choice on that side of things um but some really good bucks coming off that private land through some outfitters over there okay i'm going to ask you the same question about elk as far as quality top five or six picks for quality elk okay uh number one i'm going to give it to 201 um that's obviously the hardest you draw in the state that's residents we're looking at 25 plus points and non-residents you're knocking on the door at 30 right now but just a cool hunt, cool country. Um, good opportunity to look at a lot of bulls with a pretty good chance of a 350 plus type bull if you can stay off the trigger. Um, number two would be the neighbor to the east, unit two. Um, that's actually my personal favorite unit in the state. Um, same story, really high bull to cow ratio, um, lots of public land, and um, the opportunity to hunt bulls on October 1st with a rifle in your hands, which is something that's pretty special that a lot of places in the state you don't have the opportunity to do. Um, number three, I'm going to go unit 10, which is to the south. Uh, that's right north of Dinosaur, um, kind of bordering the Dinosaur National Monument, um, like unit two. But same story, um, a lot of good bulls, a lot of elk, um, similar opportunities and season structure as that to unit two and 201. Um, number four, I'm going to say Unit 40. Um, unit 40 is kind of the same story with deer. Um, a lot of private, but um, really high number of bulls. Um, and if you are willing to go outfitted or you can pay the trespass fee and get on the private, that, that can be a really good hunt. And I, I personally feel that 40 has um, is on par with the caliber of bulls, say like a Unit 10 or 2 even. Um, but a lot of bulls in that 300 to 340 type class with a few break in the 350 mark every year. Um, and then my number five pick is going to be uh, Unit 851, um, the Bosque del Oso State Wildlife Area, um, the Hill Ranch State Wild, or the Hill Ranch um, Ranch of Wildlife Tag, um, and also the Trinchera Ranch um, Ranch of Wildlife Tag. Um, all really good opportunities down there, um, some big bulls to be had. Um, that basket that also hunt, definitely you want to look at that one as late as possible because those bulls primarily filter in there in November. They migrate off the hill ranch. Um, but I personally had that tag, and it's, it's been a while, 2010, but um, pretty fun hunt. You, I mean, it, things could have changed. It's been a minute since I've been down there, but really good opportunity at taking a 330-plus bull. Um, but you're going to have to weed through a lot of broken bulls there. But um, definitely one of the better opportunities and cooler hunts in the state. 
Okay, then the, the million-dollar question is that, that everyone gets is those OTC elk hunts, whether it be archery elk, um, you know, second season, third season, over-the-counter elk units. Um, can you talk areas, regions? Can you talk about areas that you don't like? Um, what information can you give about OTC uh, elk out there? Because there's so many people craving for information um, right. What info could you share with people as far as you know, the good, oh. the bad, the ugly, whatever? Yeah, uh, I've always said with over-the-counter elk hunting is basically make a map of all the OTC units, close your eyes, and throw a dart at it. Um, because there's, I've, you know, guys want like a unit, and I'll, I'll tell you because I, I bounce around, and you know, each one of them has their pros and cons. I mean, if you were to ask me what's the best over-the-counter elk unit, I I would say the one you know the best, honestly. Um, so really, the key with those OTC units is um, kind of pick one that, um, let's say the terrain fits your style. So if you crave, you know, that high country, you know, style hunt, you maybe you want to look, you know, more in the central half of the state in, that, in those clustering units or, you know, the flat tops wilderness area. Um, you can look in the maroon bells, the raggeds, um, a lot of opportunities there. Um, those hunts can be pretty good, especially if you're a guy that's looking for kind of one of those um, next level bulls on those oak. Um, sorry about that. I forgot to put the phone on, dude, not disturb, but No problem. Um, anyways, the, um, those, those higher country units, let's say the central Rockies areas, um, that, that country's rough and rugged. I mean, you know how it is, Jay, right around the, the Aspen area, for instance. I mean, that it's straight up and down, and it's not the highest numbers of elk, but it, it gives bulls a chance to, you know, grow up a little bit. Um, but if you're more into the lower, more accessible kind of country, then, you know, let's say something in the northwest half of the state might be um, more up your ball game. But... Um, Really, the key to it all is picking it and just keep hunting it um, because really experience and time spent trumps everything over how good an OTC unit really is because um, you've, you've just got to get in there. you got to learn the country. you got to learn those elk. And, um, I've, honest, I've honestly said to some guys, um, a lot of people are worried about how far can I get from the road. And to be honest with you, there seems to be more and more people getting – that think that five mile mark is like, you know, the golden ticket. And I've honestly killed more elk OTC within a mile to two miles of the road. Like you don't really need to get that deep. It's just kind of spending the time and, and learning a given unit that you choose to. And, um, you know, you might not strike gold the first time. It might take three years, but um, definitely more of a, a commitment. I think that's the thing that, that, strikes me the most when people ask me and they ask me all the time they're like you're up there fishing what's the best otc elk i'm like i don't know i don't spend any time in there prowling around like it's the last thing that i do and i think that people just think it's over the counter so there's got to be two or three areas that are better than everywhere else and it's like it doesn't really work that way and i kind of like what you're saying about you know whatever one you know the best like pick a couple units and go spend a bunch of time in there yeah, for three or four years and you'll figure out what you like and what you don't like but 
I mean, I think you could pick any OTC unit in the state and go there and find elk. And I think you could find pick any OTC unit in the state and go there and hate it as well. I mean, like, there's parts of the unit that you're going to like, and there's parts that you're not going to like. There's, you know, the parts yep. that you like might be choked with people, um, mm. might be too steep a terrain, might, you know, there's all these factors that it's, it's such a crazy piece of the puzzle that, you know, so many people just want, you know, a starting point, but the reality is they just want you to tell them where to go, where they can find elk. Yeah. And it's like, anymore, go find yeah. your own elk. Yeah. Like, I'm Carol, sorry, I, but like, yeah. you know, it's OTC, it's over the counter. Like, do you think someone's going to give you their spot to go when yeah. you, know, you tell eight people and then, you know, there's 40 people there the next year at the trailhead? Yeah, and it's already, you know, congested enough. And I always tell people, when you find that gym, keep it tight and, you yeah. know. And, um, and shoot you, a couple bulls because the reality is it's probably going to change because the word gets out. And I don't mean yeah. to be harsh, but, like, <laughs> you can't be sitting back in Michigan or wherever and be like, I want your best OTC. It's like, yeah. no, no one that has a good thing going is going to tell yeah. you that. Yeah, exactly. And, and I've put on me on the podcast. They're like, "Well, you just don't do enough <laughs> on OTC." I'm like, "That's because no one wants to tell you their spot because it's only going to be good for two more years if if you they know. tell me, you know, you know and, I, and or tell you or tell anybody else because if you tell one person, that person tells a person, and that person tells a person, it's just like. Nope, it's no, it's that's the way it goes, and, and and I think a lot of people don't realize the amount of work and years it's taken to even you know find these things. Um, but you know, I I keep them pretty tight, honestly. The I've always had a saying that cream rises to the top, and if you're if you're a really truly a good hunter, you should be able to go in and you know figure it out, or at least over time figure it out. You know, I mean, it's not rocket science, right. you know, get in there and hunt. And I mean, that's kind of how I, I played this year. I mean, I've got, I went into a unit fourth rifle season. I mean, I had a little history in there. I mean, but I hadn't been in that unit in 10 years. And, um, you know, I, I was so chalked up, as you know, with all these tags that my family drew and I couldn't even hunt for myself till fourth rifle and a good friend of mine, um, we just picked up leftover tags and for a unit that had some tags left. And I was like, well, we'll just go hunt. And I think by two o'clock in the after two o'clock in the afternoon, opening day, we had two bulls laying on the ground. And, yeah. You know, and I and went into a spot that I think the last time I'd probably been there, I was, you know, 10 years old, but, um, it just, I mean, there's elk everywhere, right? but it's just a matter of like, if you go in and use your glass and, kind of know what you're looking for and i mean but it's kind of trial by fire really and it, it's kind of cool to see sometimes guys that will come out of state and they put the work in um these guys that actually camped next to me this year fourth rifle um, they came out from arkansas you know just poured over onyx for a couple months and somehow picked the same dot i did and they came out and they killed you know two bulls in a five-day hunt and you know, I, I respect those guys for that because they didn't, you know, they didn't take a handout. They didn't, they just showed up and put the work in. And that's really what it is, is just putting the work in. Right. Um, touch, but, you on, know, I, touch on um, goats and sheep 
Tell tell me your um, picks for goats and your picks for sheep. Like top units? Yeah. Mm. Goats probably right now. I'm probably going to say G5 is pretty good. That's down south. Um, and then really all these units right here around the bells. Um, so I think we're looking at like G12 um, and G16. Um, basically, any of these slew of units, I mean, there's really not a unit I would say that's better or worse, but definitely right now if you start looking at the quotas, definitely the maroon bells. And the areas around the Collegiate Peaks are, are um, the most liberal with tags and have the most goat numbers. Um, but they're, you know, if I was sitting on a pile of goat points, which I am right now, I'd be, I'd be looking around um, the Collegiate Peaks areas or the um, Marine Bells Wilderness areas. Because um, there's a dang lot of goats right now. I don't know if you got out, like, up around Snowmass Lake at all, Jay, but... I mean, it's nothing to go and glass 40 goats up right there above Maroon Lake or any of that. Yeah, I, I see them when I'm hiking around for sure. Yeah. What about sheep? Sheep? Man, uh, my top pick for sheep, so I, my favorite, obviously, is the unit I, I outfit in. I like S54. Um, they're in the uh, West Elks. Um, they only give two tags. Um, and they we did finally... Um, start getting a non-resident sheep tag in there, but um, good rams in there, really cool country. Um, that's kind of my my favorite. Um, the other one I I really like would be um, S two, which is Cooter Canyon. Um, that'd be basically just right there west of Fort Collins. Um, had a good friend actually pull that tag. I want to I want to bounce back here to the S54 the two tags that you guys have. Yeah. So in that unit if they draw a tag you guys can take them for you can take them and sheep hunt in S54. Yes. Yep, we've got all of that. So that would um Fall pretty much all permit. Yep, all under our permit. Um so that would give us really the main basins of where those sheep are. Um, and where they live, it's, it's tough, nasty country. Um, and, and that's kind of what I, I really like about that unit is because you get the true essence of a sheep hunt. Um, you know, some of these other units along the I-70 corridor, um, let's take S-74, for instance, which would be Glenwood Canyon. Like, you're, you're basically hunting rams off the highway, and, and I think half of what sheep hunting is is the experience. Um, and... And that's something you get in S54 because you're, you're 10, 12 miles in, you know, horseback spike camp and, you know, hunting some really tough terrain. And that's always, um, that, at least when I envision sheep hunting, that's um, what you get in S54. Okay, good stuff. Okay, Tenderfoot Outfitters, how do guys uh, find out about Tenderfoot? How do they reach out to you? Um, give me your best channels for um, if people want to chat with you about Tenderfoot. Okay. Uh, you can check us out at tenderfoot-outfitters.com. Um, we're also on Instagram, tfoutfitters.com. And you can reach us directly at 1-800-641-0504. 
Okay, awesome. Um, so we need snow to have uh, better fishing in the Roaring Fork Valley, in your opinion. Um, it's probably way too early to even start talking about runoff um, <laughs> beca because we're, you know, right smack dab in March. But you would just assume have a bunch of snow and have a long runoff period and let those fish have some space, right? Oh, totally. I mean, we need it right now. I mean, the, the river is just downright low, and what it's doing is just it's concentrated these fish. You know, they're packed in the in the holes they can find, and it's people you know, are hammering them. Oh yeah, I mean the the biggest issue right now is the Lower Colorado River is the only really floatable river right now in Western Colorado. So we're getting a lot of attention from Denver on the weekends and. I mean, it's just busy, and, and this whole coronavirus thing, it's got a lot of people not working, so they're fishing, and um, I've definitely, this last two months of fishing, it's probably been the worst fishing I've, I've seen in the valley for a while. Like, usually, all of us guys, we really look forward to this March-April time frame, because that's when things really start picking up. We start getting more bug life in the water, and um, the streamer bite starts up, and Man, like right now, I think two weeks ago at the at the boat ramp in Silt, actually, that was at 9 o'clock in the morning, I had 22 boat trailers there. So, um, definitely, definitely busy and people are wanting to get out for sure, but we definitely need some big snow here in the next two months to, you know, get these rivers filled up in late May and June and even into July. I mean, I'd be okay with runoff going into mid-July at this point. And um, just even for our animals' sake, you know, for the elk and the deer, and we need the grass, we need the water, and everything that goes with it. For sure. Um, Cole, it's always great talking to you. I look forward to seeing you this summer and getting in the boat and doing some fishing and ripping some lips and throwing yeah. some streamers and, and uh, getting after it. So, um Let's hope for some more snow, and uh, we'll be chatting at you. Thanks for uh, giving us information and, and filling us in on Tenderfoot, and uh, appreciate all of your knowledge. All right, buddy? Yeah, good talking to you, Jay. All right, buddy. God bless. Take care. Thank you.